This is Yudeha Kohen, Brit Chazon, Vision Magazine, Vision Movement, and you are listening to the Next Page Podcast. The world is changing. There's been a lot of anger, especially in the United States, beneath the surface for a long time that I think is finally coming out. And with me to talk about this is Dan Kling, a candidate for the Vision Movement in the recent World Zionist Congress elections and a recent graduate from George Mason University, where he was a student organizer. Dan, welcome to the next stage. Thank you for bringing me on, Yuda. Where are you right now? I'm in my, uh, my mom's house in Maryland. I'm about 20 minutes outside of uh, downtown Baltimore. So last Thursday, a Minnesota police officer killed a black man, George Floyd, caught on film with his knee on George Floyd's neck with his victim pleading, saying he couldn't breathe, pleading for the officer to take his knee off of his neck. He died. And since then, there have been protests all over the United States. Things have definitely been intensifying in the United States. And this, of course, comes in the wake of the coronavirus. All of the frustration and all of the um, different political pressures pulling the United States in, in different directions, while the authorities really failed to deal with the pandemic, not to mention the several examples of police killings of people of color over the years that have led to increased protests. And now people are angry, people are demonstrating their protests throughout the United States. And uh, Dan, you were at one of these protests yesterday, correct? Yes, I was. How would you describe the situation in your area and in the broader United States right now? Well, so I think surprisingly, actually, the Baltimore, you know, in, I believe, 2015, um, was subject to a lot of riots because of the murder of Freddie Gray, uh, in which he was murdered by Baltimore City Police. And um, there is a a history of Baltimore City Police being racist. Um, But what I noticed yesterday was actually a reversal where a lot of the nation is in distress right now. But here in Baltimore, we had a, a really nice protest. There was a lot of peace and love. There was a lot of understanding. No one was, you know, stepping on the voices of the oppressed and the cops kept their distance. There was no situations of violence. We, uh, we were down in Baltimore City, which has historically not been um, a very peaceful place for protesters, but it was very peaceful. It was organized by uh, three people over Twitter DMs. We marched across most of the city. Police kept safe distance. There was no violence. There was no vandalism, no spray painting. Um, and there was almost 5,000 of us. I mean, we, we took the highway and there were still people getting onto the highway that were part of our protest while we were beginning to get off the highway. We, we stretched the entire thing. It was insane. Wow. And so it's, it's been a little weird to see uh, that, you know, the city that everyone thought was going to burn over the next issue of police brutality is actually setting a, an example for peace in, in these protests, which I think is pretty awesome. But I think that is definitely not what's going on in the rest of the country. And uh, what were you expecting showing up with everything happening on the news, et cetera? Yeah, you know, I, I think that, that historically Baltimore has been a place where the cops have not been pleasant towards protesters, towards people of color. Um, and so I didn't know what to expect, but I will say I did come with medical supplies. I came with a bandana to put over top of my mask uh, in the event that we got tear gas. Mm. I had goggles because all of those things have happened in Baltimore City before and it would not right. have been surprising. And, and are happening throughout the country. And, and currently are happening throughout the country. I mean, 
an hour away in DC, like people are getting tear gassed. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the protest was peaceful and the police officers did keep a safe distance, correct? Yeah, they even expressed solidarity at some points. Uh, individual officers or the police as a collective? The line of police that were protecting City Hall all took a knee and raised power fists when the uh, organizers called for them to do so. Sounds like quite a moment. Yeah, it really was. And the United States is definitely changing. Yeah. From here, I'll be honest, from the mountain I live on, it just looks like an empire crashing. When you think about the last few years of life in the United States, first of all, four very divisive years of a Donald Trump presidency, two instances of the Democratic Party essentially robbing the voters of an opportunity to participate electorally in making a significant difference, you know, giving them an establishment candidate like Joe Biden as the only available alternative to Trump is basically telling the people of the United States, there will be no change. You're either going to continue with the Joker or go back to the mob. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID-19, the coronavirus has really impacted the United States in a way it hasn't impacted other countries. It's if, you can imagine this. It, it looks from here, at least you'll tell me if you're feeling this on the ground, but from here, it looks like it's made the United States an even more divided nation than in the past. And now you have these protests that are really forcing people to take a side. I saw a, uh, someone holding a sign in one of the pictures, which said, we're not trying to start a race war. We're trying to end one. Meaning that until now, there has been a one-sided war. There has been a one-sided oppression, however you want to say it, against people of color in the United States who seem to have had enough. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think we think that everything was fine pre-Donald Trump. Um, I've seen this whole, you know, Joe Biden returns to normalcy. Well, I I don't recall what normalcy was because as I recall, prior to Donald Trump, there were still extremely racist cops uh, we still had terrible policy towards immigrants. We still had militarized police. Like, there is no normalcy that people imagine it. It was just a world in which white Anglo-Saxon Protestants could turn off their televisions and pretend that uh, nothing was going awry in the country. And people are finally aware. And in some ways, it's almost as if we have Donald Trump to thank. It feels like Donald Trump just through his behavior, through his public statements, removed the mask of a system that was always pretty ugly, but was able to disguise in the, in the politics of inclusion and, and liberalism, etc. But Donald Trump, I think, exposed the establishment, exposed the American system for what it is. And I don't think people are looking to go back to Joe Biden politics. I completely agree. I think Nothing Trump has said, nothing of his positions has not been anything that no other U.S. politician has advocated for. All of his policies are things that U.S. politicians have previously advocated for. The only reason that we're paying attention now is because he has no decorum. And I don't think people actually want to go back to Joe Biden. I think uh, it it is more so that, that people don't know where else to go from here. They're in denial of the fact that this has always been America. Right. I think what Trump has essentially done is he's, he is a caricature. Trump, Donald Trump is a caricature of the American political system, as if the system just continued to eat its own tail until finally vomiting out Trump. Mm-hmm. 
And those who have woken up are not going to go back to sleep. And I think that the fact that the Democratic Party has offered Joe Biden as their candidate has essentially shown people that you cannot institute change through electoralism today. Yeah, they won't listen. And therefore, people are taken to the streets. So let, let me ask you this. You, you, know, you just graduated from George Mason University. You were very active on campus, organizing mostly for Jewish causes, Israel-related causes. Where do you see your role as a representative of the Jewish community in showing up to these protests? So I think I want to be careful. I don't want my presence in these protests to be tokenized by any part of Jewish professionalism, of Jewish society, to say, look, Jews show up to these causes. And I don't want people to Mm -hmm. view me as their placeholder to say, no, see, Jews show up. So in some ways, you know, on... On the front of my shirt, it said Black Lives Matter. And on the back of my shirt, it said Sedek Sedek Didor. Tirdof, sorry. Uh, it was written right, I promise. The, the fact is, that I think that as Jews and Jews who are interested in our own liberation, uh, our own liberation from anti-Semitism, having a nation of our own that we can, we can actually return to, it is our responsibility to show up to the liberation causes of other people because we cannot expect liberation for ourselves if we can't expect liberation for everyone. And so I don't see uh, my, my role showing up as being that, you know, I as a Jew, because uh, Hashem commanded me to, to show up to these protests, I, I think it's really very basic that if I, want, if I want liberation for myself and I want liberation for my people, I need to be willing to show up to fight for the good causes wherever they are. And I think the problem is that a lot of Jews actually don't feel that way. And they want to tokenize the few pro-Israel Jews who do show up to these causes, ignore all the ones that aren't pro-Israel that do show up and not actually show up themselves. I think that in many ways, a lot of the Jewish community in the United States falls into this trap of contributing to anti-Semitism. But when I say anti-Semitism, I really mean systemic anti-Semitism in that Jews are pushed into this role of middle Asian oppressor where we are granted certain limited and definitely conditional inclusion into whiteness, but only so that we can be scapegoated and pointed at when those who are oppressed structurally are ready to resist their oppression, are ready to lash out at the system that oppresses them. Yes, I completely agree. In many ways, Jews, we have a very, we have a very traumatic history, uh, especially Ashkenazim. You know, in Europe during feudalism, we were pushed into this Middle Asian oppressor role where we weren't peasants, but we also weren't the ruling class. We weren't the lords. We weren't in the castle. We weren't in the village. We were the middlemen. We were the moneylenders. We were the tax collectors. And we were used by the power structure to be the oppressors that the peasants experienced. So when the peasants would finally revolt, they wouldn't attack the castle. They would attack the Jewish community. And that's what we would call a pogrom. And that's how anti-Semitism worked in feudalist Europe. And I think that that was, to a certain extent, grandfathered into the capitalist system. And Jews in the United States have been granted, especially since World War II, a certain conditional inclusion into whiteness, but that has also forced us into conflict with other minority groups. 
to the point where I think the most Jewishly involved Jews in the United States probably oppose these protests and probably side with the power structure to a certain extent, even though obviously everybody understands that what happened to George Floyd was straight up murder. I think that once the Black community and allies began to react with these protests, I think much of the Jewish community kind of backed up and said, well, we don't support this. Yeah, I think that there's a very interesting point that to a degree, Jews, I think, almost yearn for that inclusion. You know, the the Jewish establishment, I think, yearns almost for some inclusion in what they view as like normal white America. And we've absolutely been conditioned to do so. And it makes us feel safe. It, right, it, it makes us feel safe. They, they give us a little bit of privilege and then they give us a little bit more and they, they have us hooked. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the pro-Israel establishment just isn't getting this. I think that because of the experiences and the divisions that have taken place in American society between Jews and other minority groups, you know, a lot of the Jews are for the most part unaware and insensitive to what other people have experienced in the United States. Yes, absolutely. And I think the pro-Israel establishment, actually, they really add to the problem because they don't accurately teach allyship. There is a lot of pro-Israel organizations that teach that we need to go out and, and go to other groups' events, but not because those groups deserve to be supported and listened to, but actually because we want more people to show up to pro-Israel events on campuses. And in all of that, there is no actual acknowledgement of why we're supporting these groups or what the necessity to support them is. It's just simply support them so they also turn around and support us. But standing in solidarity with someone isn't meant to be a transaction. A cause is still right. right. Everyone else in that cause doesn't like you. Right. And I think that the pro-Israel establishment misunderstands what intersectionality actually means. I think they see it the way you just expressed it, that I'm going to support you and there's a quid pro quo. You're going to, you're going to come support me. Yeah. There's no real acknowledgement how anti-Black racism in the United States is designed to ensure the failure of the Black community in disproportionately high numbers. There is no sensitivity to biased policing or the judicial system, you know, mandatory minimums, or just the history of kidnapping people from Africa and bringing them over to the Americas as slaves to build your society, to build your economy, and to essentially treat them as property. I don't think that sensitivity exists. You know, I, I've been spending a lot of time these past couple of days. Uh, I don't think I've actually talked with anyone about anything other than the protests, a very largely Jewish audience on Facebook. And I, I'm really trying to start conversations with people and try and explain that this is systemic to them. But I think when synagogues are vandalized and when people go and spray paint things or Pittsburgh, we mm. feel that we are now reliant on police presence to protect us. We think right, that, right. that uh, our protection um, and our assurance as a community comes from the police. And so we don't want to spend any mental energy thinking, well, that's great, but maybe the police are actually contributing to uh, these tensions. They're contributing to a racist society. We just want to see that, oh, well, the, the cops are now outside my synagogue making me feel safe and thus cops are good. And it's an absence of critical thought because Jews are scared, as they rightfully should be. But rather than taking our defense into our own hands, we have learned to pass off our own protection to 
the higher authorities or our authority of government and not take charge for ourselves. And in that, I think that's how we really fall into the trap of not wanting to pay attention to anti-Black racism that is prevalent in policing systems and in American government. Right. I think that our traumatic history has conditioned us to want proximity to the power structure. Like yes. the closer we are to the police, the safer we feel. And that, that's part of how anti-Semitism works, because anti-Semitism grants Jews very visible inclusion and disproportionate success in you know, accumulating wealth, influence, uh, in such a way that actually reinforces a lot of anti-Jewish conspiracy theories. Uh, Jews are very much positioned in such a way that really enables them to be easily scapegoated by the establishment anytime there's a major crisis. And this has forced Jews into conflict with other minority communities who very much perceive us as beneficiaries of the same institutions they feel oppressed by. Meaning the fact that, you know, a, a mixed black Jewish neighborhood in Brooklyn, you know, the two communities will have very different reactions to increased police presence. Jews will feel safer as a result of the increased police presence, whereas the black community will most often feel less safe. And I think the more vulnerable the Jewish community feels, meaning the more we feel that we have to fear these other minority groups, the more desperate the Jews tend to become for a sense of security, which then in turn increases Jewish dependency on the power structure. So I think we need to figure out a way out of this cycle. I think we need to identify how anti-Semitism is systemic to the system and figure out a way to combat it effectively. Now, for me, because I think anti-Semitism works by pushing us into this middle agent oppressor role, the only way to really combat it is to reject that role. And similar to Darth Vader, you know, in the end of Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader was empowered by the Empire to oppress, but that made Darth Vader uniquely qualified to take down the Emperor. But it requires a choice. It requires a choice that we're going to be on the side of the oppressed and not the side of the oppressors. Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess that brings us to showing up for other peoples. Yeah, I think once we, once Jews get it, that we, we actually have to show up to the, the causes of other marginalized groups and, and really fully understand that we are a marginalized group and we are not the privileged in society as... I, I think many Jews are unaware of this precarious position that you, you've uh, articulated here that um, really we've put ourselves close so that they can blame us and use us. Um, and I think once Jews come to realize that the, the establishment is not our friend uh, and they start showing up to these causes, we'll see that there will be a, a serious change in mindsets. Uh, oppressed minorities and, and marginalized communities will no longer look at negative feelings towards Jews as punching up. Uh, they will look at it as being against a fellow marginalized community. And I think that will change a lot of mindsets, but those mindsets aren't going to change so long as we want to sit close to the emperor as Darth Vader did, mm -hmm. rather than understanding that we really need to be out with our, our fellow marginalized people. Right. Like we saw marches on certain Jewish neighborhoods in the last few days where, you know, synagogues were vandalized, etc. And the Jewish community is right to feel concerned, threatened, endangered. It's true that the Jewish position in the United States is very precarious right now. But the answer is not to seek closer proximity to the power structure, to the police. 
you know, I think the real answer for the Jewish people in the United States is introspection. I, part of that might be whose side are we on? Are we going to side with the oppressed or the oppressors? Are we going to recognize the way systems of oppression work? I think that's, that's a big challenge for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And there might even be questions beyond that, like where do we actually belong? Should we even be in the United States? I mean, there's definitely, from an Israeli perspective, this just looks like a wake-up call, you know, why are Jews still there? Yeah. Well, I think that's a little difficult in that we appreciate a diversity of opinion in Jewish thought and in Jewish communities, but there has to be some sort of collective awakening where these even largely establishment, you know, American Jewish communities, I think I said largely Democrat establishment Jewish communities, um, need to realize that they aren't taking the side of the oppressed, they're taking the side of the oppressor. Well, I'll tell you something that's important to me. I, I do think it's correct to show up for marginalized groups, obviously. I think it's certainly important that you participate in these protests. But a distinction I think it's important to make is that we need to show up as our full selves. And I think that's sometimes what's missing. You know, one of the frustrations I have when I look at, you know, the United States and the Jewish community and a lot of political issues playing out is that it tends to be that the Jews who are most Jewishly involved, most Jewishly literate, more rooted in their own identity, more connected to their homeland, seem to be really insensitive to systems of oppression and how other groups are being marginalized and oppressed by the power structure, while the Jews who do show up for other peoples tend to be really ignorant of their own identity. And I think one of the challenges that the vision movement tries to address is really creating a critical mass of Jews who are firmly rooted in our own identity, connected to our own homeland, wanting to play important roles in our own people's story and in our own people's liberation, while at the same time being able to show up for other peoples as Jews. And that means something different than showing up as privileged white allies. That means showing up as another group with its own history of oppression, with its own vulnerabilities, with its own struggles, and with its own aspirations. Yes. Uh, I think this was something I really had to go through actually yesterday because the group that I attended, uh, the the protest of, they uh, had on their cover photo on Facebook, a very standard kind of progressive chanting slogan, I don't think it was about walls specifically, but um, one of the listed places of injustice was Gaza. And I did a little bit more research and it was very clearly a communist anti-Israel group. Now, I I don't think that being anti-Israel was part of their main platform, but that was clearly one of their stances. And my mom said to me, you know, are you sure you want to go to this? Are you sure you want to have Hebrew on your back? Are you sure you want to wear a scarf decorated with Magen Davids? Because you could be targeted here. And I thought about it and I said, well, maybe I will be, but how is anyone else going to know that I'm a Jewish ally showing up and not a white ally showing up? How, how else are people going to know that I am Jewish and my Jewish values call on me to come stand for this cause because this cause is just? And so I think that that is a very big part of American Jewry's failure is we look at these people and they say, we see, oh, well, they have signs about Gaza and that means that they're anti-Israel. These people can't be our allies. And what I said to that was, 
no, there's no reason that these people can't be our allies because these people identify something that they see as unjust. Maybe they're not fully understanding of the larger dynamic there, but at least that I can trust that these people will stand up for what's right and I can have a conversation with these people. If I don't even go because they're holding a sign about Gaza, well, I'm not actually going to change any hearts and minds. And so I want to go and talk to the people who are concerned about social social equality and social wellness because those are the people who are ultimately advocating for liberation for all peoples. And that's what we should all be advocating for if we want our own liberation. Right. I think you're expressing two very common challenges. I think a lot of young Jews uh, who are politically active in the United States struggle with. Yes. I think it's difficult for young Jews to organize with other activists for causes that are just when many of the people active in those causes are so opposed to our liberation, to the state of Israel. And uh, that's one challenge. And I, and I think the response, in my opinion, is to be able to, A, show up for causes that we think are just, regardless of whether or not the people we're showing up for recognize our rights or, or recognize the validity of our liberation movement. And I think it's also important to be able to have conversations about how they see our people, how they see the state of Israel, how they view Jewish liberation, because those conversations create the space for nuance and allow us to shift perspectives and create the space for somebody to be sympathetic to Palestinians and to want to fight for the liberation of Palestinians while at the same time acknowledging that Jews are also a people very much rooted in this land with a legitimate connection to this land, who are also being victimized in a very different way, probably a much more similar way to the anti-Semitism we spoke about. Uh, You know, I think Israel very much falls into the trap of systemic anti-Semitism, but on the global stage. You know, Israel is like the international Jew. It's the Jewish nation that is very much pushed into this Middle Asian oppressor role. And just like the Jews of the diaspora need to claim their identity. I think it's even an act of tshuva to show up for just causes and to fight for the oppressed. The state of Israel also has to make the decision, are we on the side of the oppressor nations or are we on the side of the oppressed nations? And maybe this question will come to the fore just due to the Trump administration, which is so visibly standing against these protests, uh, also trying to rip a chunk of our homeland from us right now. Yeah. The point I kind of want to make is, um, you know, a a lot of Jews say, why do these people not understand that this is also liberation for us? Mm -hmm. And the the point that I think I actually responded to someone yesterday uh, with... At the protest. uh, This wasn't at the protest. This was um, discussing with someone, I want to say on Facebook after, but maybe not, was basically, well, and and this is perhaps a, a little controversial, is... I don't really blame social justice advocates for thinking that Israel is the oppressor um, and, and thinking that standing against Israel is a socially just cause because we do nothing to show them otherwise. Right. I, I, Israel, Israel works very hard to present itself as a Western country, which essentially translates into colony when you're located right. in the Semitic region. Right. And not just that, if, if Jews 
in America and globally aren't showing up to social justice causes, or they're only showing up in part, they're not showing up as a, as a real full community, then people in those communities are rightfully going to say, well, if these people don't care to be allies with us, then they're taking the side of the oppressor. You know, I, like, I just want to echo what you said about Israel, really, like Israel tries to present itself as a white nation or as a, as a Western nation um, and not as uh, an indigenous liberation movement. Right. And since the founding of the state of Israel, we have had our government, starting with David Ben-Gurion, has had a policy of superpower patronage, like seeking out a superpower to protect us, seeking out a big, powerful nation that we can ally with so they can catch our back and we can feel safe, which of course does contribute to systemic anti-Semitism and obviously has its roots in the traumatic experiences we had, especially Ashkenazi Jews in Europe, and the conclusions we came to, whether right or wrong at the time, that the best way to ensure our own protection and security is to be as close as we can be to the power structure of wherever we are. And, uh, and I think the way most Israeli politicians view that right now is the United States. You know, for the last 40 or so years, Israel has sought out a relationship with the United States that has become less and less healthy and more and more problematic over the decades. And I think that really highlights how this capitalist system that Jews and other minorities are exploited by actually really serves to pit minorities and marginalized peoples against each other. Uh, And I think the Jewish relation with other minorities is a very fine example of Mm -hmm. how capitalism has actually served to pull apart people who should otherwise be for each other's liberation. Right. And you would you agree with me that the the way to ultimately combat anti-Semitism is to make a conscious decision as Jews to be on the side of the oppressed and not the side of the oppressors? I would 100 percent agree. All right. And that's an important next stage in our people's liberation. I mean, that is a conversation that needs to be had within the Jewish community, within Israeli society, whether we're speaking about the role of Jews in the United States, the power structure there, or we're speaking about the state of Israel's relationship with the Western powers. We need to have a serious discussion over who we want to ally with and whether or not we should in the meantime, you know, individual Jews who do recognize the oppression that other communities are suffering from, should we unconditionally show up and support their struggles without expecting quid pro quo, without expecting support in return? Like, should we just show up because it's the right thing to do and maybe part of our role or historic mission as Jews? Absolutely. I I think that even if we get nothing in return for it, there are a lot of things that we do in our own beliefs and in our own values uh, that constitute doing things because they're right, not because we're getting payoff for them. Um, and so it, that, that is a point that I think a lot of Jews don't want to apply consistent thought to that, mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, our values call on us to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it is going to convince others to like us more. Um, right. that, that has never been our mission. That has never been our, our role with the rest of the world. And so I, I think we've developed transactional mentality that we really need to break. Right. And something has changed. Something has changed in history that Jews for the first time in a long time have power again. Yeah. We have an independent state. 
We have a strong army and uh, we have the ability to actually define our own interests and define our own values without feeling the need for, for those interests and values to measure up or overlap with the values and interests of whatever powerful Gentile we want to be friends with. Yeah, I think that Israel trying to make itself, almost make itself a colony or make itself subservient to America um, or any superpower is really self-defeating because we've gained power ourselves. Uh, We did not gain power with anyone's permission. And uh, in a way, we are selling our power for protection and it's a very ironic, self-defeating thing that Israel has, has been doing to itself. And I think moving forward, Israel really needs to uh, reevaluate what its roles in being the Jewish state mean and what those Jewish values are and what gaining power for Jews means. That's very well said. Uh, we have to struggle with power. We have to figure out what it means to have power because we have it for the first time in a long time and we need to get comfortable with that. I think to summarize, I would say Jews in the diaspora, Jews in the United States, show up for just causes, show up for oppressed peoples, but show up as Jews, show up as your full selves, don't show up as privileged white allies, show up as the Jewish people with your own history of oppression, with your own struggles, with your own aspirations, looking to support a just cause. And Israel, the nation of Israel, let's stop trying to be an outpost of Western civilization in the Semitic region and start thinking about what it means to rebuild Hebrew civilization according to the values of our prophets and sages, according to the vision of our ancestors, in order for us to really figure out what we came back to life for. You know, we've come back to life We're back on the world stage. We have power again. We always told ourselves that that would happen, but it would happen for a reason, that there is a mission we're tasked with, and we have to work towards achieving that mission now that we're back in our homeland, now that we have independence again, now that we have power again. And that will require a conscious decision to side with the oppressed of the world. Yes. All right, Daniel Kling, thank you so much for joining me. This is Yudha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine. Be sure to check out the show notes at visionmag.org backslash the next stage 28.